we have to find the right head for this torso. Has to be of a man who strongly craves women, whose overriding urges are sensual. If he succeeds in finding such a single-minded man, our chances are very good. That the male we create will fall in love with my female zombie. What kind of work did you say your husband does? He's a scholar, spends hours in his laboratory. I really don't know what he does. We lead very separate lives. They will mate, and she will bear me the children I want. They're going to be a true start of a new race, entirely created by me, responding only to my bidding. Who is your husband? Busy working. Works very hard. No one has come as close as I, understanding the secret of life. Welcome back to the Bloody Pit. I welcome once again, Mr. Mark Maddox. How have you been doing, sir? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Life's been good. Um, you know, uh, doing lots of artwork and uh, and uh, just hanging out, going to a few conventions here and there, and it's, things are fine. Oh, any How about uh, you? any projects that uh, you can speak about publicly currently? Um, well, I've got I, I, I've got two new covers coming out for Scream. Okay. I, I, I won't say what they are. You know, that's their thing. Uh, I've got uh, I've got one project that I really have to bite my tongue on. Nope, can't talk about that one. Got a movie poster for a uh, a, a, a well known movie director that I'm doing, and let's see, a couple of action adventure uh, books book covers. Hmm. Uh, I've got a crawling eye cover for Little Shop of Horrors, and I've got a new cover f- that's going to be coming out here soon for Monster Bash magazine. Uh, I've got another movie poster coming out in the near future for uh, Joshua Kennedy, and uh, more stuff like that. So Just slacking, are you? Slacking. <laughs> This has been the busiest I think I've ever been doing this kind of work ever. I mean, as a matter of fact, I'm almost certain of it. How? I know you've been busy real lately, a lot, you know. Uh, yeah, but my but, work, my, my work is not the kind of work that uh, you can honestly end up being proud of at the end of the day. Whereas you can. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let's let's talk about uh, why are we talking about flesh for Frankenstein today? Well. Um, you want to give your history first, or you want me to give mine? Oh, okay, I'll give mine because it's kind of it's kind of weird, and it might. I wonder if it relates to yours at all. Um, okay. The first encounter I had with Flesh for Frankenstein, or uh, I think as it was being called at the time, Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, yes. was uh, a television screening on the USA Network sometime in the 80s. I can't, I, I cannot find exactly when it was, but it was very famous because they got their hands on both Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula, or Andy Warhol's Frankenstein and Andy Warhol's Dracula, which I think is, uh, th- those are silly titles for these movies. But the... Um, they were showing them late at night, well, you know, fairly late at night 
on the USA Network on cable, which is how they could get away with, you know, showing uh, at least a fair amount of the kinds of stuff that would give this movie in its initial release an X rating. Mm -hmm. So I knew nothing about these films at the time, but my uh, stepmom was incredibly excited that these were going to be on television. And so we ended up watching these movies uh, mm -hmm. with my stepmom, and she was just highly amused by the movies. The, the, the black humor was something that really, really got to her. She really enjoyed them. Huh, cool. And I have to admit, th that is my first, and up until the release of the films on DVD... Mm -hmm. My only encounter with those movies. Uh, it wasn't until uh, Criterion put uh, Flesh for Frankenstein out on uh, DVD many years later that I that I bothered to watch it again. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, of course, with the the, the stellar Blu-rays that have come out, that have come out of both movies, I have revisited them again. And I have to admit, when I was uh, when I was a younger man watching it on on uh, cable television I had n I had no real good frame of reference I was a teenager I had no clue what I was looking at I didn't really I don't think that I grasped the things about it that make it really special to me now right uh, but uh, you know as I've gotten older uh, I haven't like I say I haven't revisited the movie that often over the years mm -hmm. but it is a movie that uh, once you once you've watched it or rewatched it it sticks with you for a very long period of time afterwards and for me part of that is some of the stuff that is some of the stuff that it's uh, kind of aping uh, and some of the stuff that is just intrinsic to it as well so that's my history with the film okay okay you gotcha um for me, it's weird. Um, we had a, a, I don't know, I don't think it exists anymore. There's a movie theater now at the at the university, but Florida State used to run every night films at the uh, Moore Auditorium through the Student Union, you know? Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, a, a friend of ours who you probably met at Monsterama, Bill Rich, headed that up for a long time and was putting stuff on there like prisoner episodes and stuff. Huh. Lots of James Bond movies, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, he, um, they, they put on there uh, Andy Warhol's Dracula, which is what I still prefer to call it i know that sounds like like okay mark that's not historically accurate no but it rolls off the tongue better for me it's right. like i've met some i've met some people that are uh, uh godzilla historians and stuff like that and they refuse to call the films anything than what they were originally called when they were released in the united states like godzilla versus the thing i know that's kind of like i went like wow really well but, i understand the reason that i think that the andy warhol title is silly is that Andy Warhol didn't have a damn thing to do with them. So. Right. I just say it because it kind of pricks up people's ears who don't have any understanding of what these films are. Mm -hmm. So Flesh for Frankenstein and all that, I mean, it's a fine title. Paul Morrissey's Frankenstein, it's fine, whatever. But I like saying Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, Andy Warhol's Dracula. So anyway, my buddies, Burke, Sauls, and Doug Bush, we get in the car, we go over to the Moore Auditorium, and we see, out of order, we see uh, Andy Warhol's Dracula blood for okay. dracula and we're watching it and i'm absolutely livid i'm hating this movie uh it's it's stupid it's poorly acted everybody's over the top <laughs> blah, blah 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 i go i leave and i go god what a piece of crap everybody is like we're all in agreement what a piece of crap so we uh there i mean there were some snickers in the movie of course and we'll go into the details of that film later when we do another show but uh, three or four months go by. It was like 1981. 
and then they put out Andy Warhol's more auditorium's going to run Andy Warhol's Frankenstein so I'm like well maybe this one's better than the other one you know hope springs eternal Burke and Doug and I get in the car and we go back over there and we watch it and uh, the movie starts off with the weird ki- the kids doing their thing and we'll get into this in a minute but then it shows the little lady going with the kids you know in the little cart driven by the pony and all that and all that right. and everything just seems to be sort of doing its little thing and all of a sudden boom there's Udo and he goes did you clean the bottles and the test tubes in the laboratory and I went oh shit it's this thing this this is the same thing over again I'm trapped in an amobius loop and now I'm watching <laughs> this thing oh we sit there and we're watching it and I'm like oh my god oh my god leave the theater Go. I remember even going to a party and telling everybody how much I hated the movie that night afterwards anyway so you know a year, a few years go by or a year goes by and my brother is dying to see the Frankenstein movie. He actually goes and buys the VHS almost six months before he could afford the VCR because VCRs back then were like pretty darned expensive, you know? Yeah. In the late 70s, early 80s. Anyway, so, but he really wanted to see it. So he bought that film, had it on the shelf for six months, finally got a VCR and watched it and fell in love with it. And he said, so we were talking about it. And I'm like, why do you, why do you like this so much? He goes, it's like, the worst, the most exploitive parts of Hammer films on steroids. Yes. It's like it's it's like any part of the Hammer films that would be considered that the censor board would go after in Britain, that's what's in this film. The rest of it's, you know. And so, you know, a few more years go by and I go, eh, you know, and I think I saw it one, once or twice more and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of getting that. And then you really understood that it was a comedy. I mean, I've actually heard Paul Morrissey say it, his own lips. Yes, it's a comedy. So I'm watching uh, the independent film channel, and uh, Dracula comes on, his version of Dracula. And I'm like, you know what? There's something about this that's very it – is, it is a comedy. You can tell. But there's a lot of beautiful photography, and there's a lot of – the music's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Udo's like you know Klaus Kinski's angry little brother or something. It's like they, the <laughs> DNA. And I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of digging this. And I started to change my mind. And I'm like, okay, okay, I changed my mind. Then I watched the Frankenstein again. And I'm like, okay, this one, yeah, I, I, I'm getting it now. I, I get it. And and they're fun to rewatch. And then recently, with the release of the two from uh, uh, Severin and from Vinegar Syndrome, the two films being restored and released, I got those. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I did a complete 180 over the course of of time. I I kind of love them, you know. So very different. That happens every once in a great while with me where I hate a film at first and then I turn around and love it. It's pretty rare, but it does happen, and this is the case with both of those. Cool, cool. I've always, I have to admit, I, I these are not neither of these are films that I love, but I do enjoy the hell out of them. Right. I, I can't uh, – I think that it's it's difficult – for me to kind of clutch them to my chest in, in you know, abject joy, but I admire them in uh, so many different ways, and um, wow, it's 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 just such a it, both of them are such bizarre films. But Flesh for Frankenstein, we'll get into uh, near the end of this, if unless we can not restrain ourselves, we'll get into a discussion of which you prefer. But talking about just Flesh Flesh for Frankenstein right now, I have to say that uh, I. Th- I can't be sure, but I think that this may have been the first time I ever saw Udo Kier in anything. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, because I, I'm a teenager, and, I, and although I'm, you know, a burgeoning film fanatic, 
it's not as if there were a lot of films by that point that you could uh, point to and go, oh, yeah, yeah, there's Udo Kier, you know, doing whatever he's going to do in this particular movie. Yeah. But he is so perfectly cast in this as this, <laughs> this bizarre mad scientist. I, I'm utterly fascinated by uh, his performance in it because clearly he is playing a lunatic. And he's playing a lunatic who has perfectly no idea that he is insane. Right. He's he's completely nuts. From his point of view, the entire world makes sense if you you know if you're behind his eyeballs. But at the same time, nothing about what he's doing can be thought of as rational. But he thinks it's completely rational. I mean the whole the whole idea, and and I love this. There's so much folded into this thing. Okay, so. I will admit that because of my uh, stepmom's reaction when I first saw this movie as a teenager, I did grasp some of the very obvious kind of uh, uh, jabs at the idea of, you know, uh, genetics and superior, you know, the superior races and the, right. the, the construction of uh, kind of a, a superior race of people through science and things of that nature. I did, I did get that at an early age, but I have to admit I never backfilled that until much later in my life with the realization that if you are looking at a Frankenstein movie and that concept is floating around, honestly, that's a concept that's kind of undergirding a lot of Frankenstein stories and a lot of Frankenstein movies, but it's it's almost never teased out because it it's the kind of thing that if you draw too much attention to it, it kind of just takes over everything. Because right. then what you're looking at is, uh, uh, you know, uh, some kind of bizarre Ertzat version of uh, Nazism and the kind of master race theme that, you know, strolled through Germany for the 30s and 40s. Yeah. And so <clears throat> knowing that that's kind of what is going on in this movie means that uh, while, while it is... It is highly amusing at certain points. It also is. It can be nothing more than black humor. This dark, dark thread of humor that veins through the entire story. Because what's at the bottom of it is so, so mean spirited and awful. Yeah. Well, I mean, the guy talks about, you know, that the Serbian way is the best, and that mm -hmm. they're looking for the perfect nozzle. Basically, the movie starts off with the Frankenstein and his assistant looking for a person's head with it's got a great nose on it. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's all sort of like, okay, so you're picking and choosing the elements to make your, your super bang or whatever, and they sound kind of prejudiced. Um, but it's, it's, um, there's a lot of things that he says in that movie that are one, you know, have you look at him sideways for more than just the regular reasons that this guy's off the chain, but also <laughs> yeah. stuff like he, he's he's a racist. He's he's a he's a he's a, he uh, he judges people. I mean, massively. I mean, some of it's so funny that the more I watch the film, the funnier the the yelling gets. Yeah, uh, now that that that's very true. The more the the more times you watch the movie over the course of years, I got to admit, the funnier it becomes because once you're keyed into that to to the the humor, the humor that it's aiming at, yeah. the more of it you spot and the more that it feels just like, you know, almost every scene is trying to find a way to poke at that level of humor or that kind of humor, I should say. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got a movie that has a very um it's got a soundtrack that is almost like something for a love movie. 
it's gorgeous. I mean, even it's gorgeous, but 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 mixed in with like a giant close up of some really horrific wounds with stitches being reopened up with the blood slowly seeping through it. And this is mm-hmm. music for two people that are you know, Romeo and Juliet passionately embraced and kissing, but no, what are we getting? We're getting a wound being cut open with the blood coming out and the, and the little cotton swab trying to dab like, you know, 40 pounds of blood off of this thing. (laughs) The wounds are just, are just ridiculously huge. And it's like, man, if that was the surgeon's actual job and he went to try to get a job and that was his portfolio, they go, get the hell out of here. Would you use a chainsaw? But we know they're doing it to gross us out in the film. We get yeah. it, but there's there's this bizarre form of humor too. I mean, Frankenstein's doing all this crazy stuff, you know, wanting to cut people's heads off and all this sort of stuff. But but he's like sitting there going, "Oh, it's disgusting." We went into the town and the, the women were there with their big breasts and 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 they were shapeless <laughs> and and they oh, it's just disgusting, you know. And then he's going around. And he says, "And we would w- watch the peasants and the peasants. We were told not to talk to them because we were better than they were, you know." And I'm like, "Holy crap!" I mean, just watching. I mean, I will say the pinnacle thing in this film is Udo. Yes. To me, yes. it's it's a joy to watch him. It's sort of like when I've watched, you know, Klaus Kinski movies where the movie stinks, but he is so good. It's like I recommend it for one thing, you know. Uh, yeah, watch what watch what Kinski does. Yeah, in this case, it's watch watch what Kier does. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there was one. What was that one movie where the girl's trying to kill herself and Klaus runs? Into, Darling, turn some motor off. Turn some motor off. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's like go, Klaus, go. You know, and Udo does the same thing in this. You know, there's parts where he's yelling and screaming. It looks like he's going to pop a vein in the middle of his forehead. Blood's just going to go spraying out of there. By the way, he's yelling. Uh, he's totally mm-hmm. committed to this. And you know, what's so funny is is that, like I said, later I had to find out that yes, it, we it, this is absolutely a comedy. But when I'm watching it, I was confused. I'm like, is this is this supposed to be funny or is this just really horrible? I'm not sure. It really, it really does a number on you. Finally, you get it. Well, understand. We should, we should understand up front that for a lot of people, they're never going to make that leap into thinking that it's intentional and and good. There's there there is a surface reading of this movie that most people will always have yeah. of it being just terrible because they can't see that what's there is intentional. And the more you realize, the more you realize about the the, the intent of the filmmakers and what they were trying to yeah. do. The, the funnier it gets. But you don't even have to key completely into, in my opinion, you don't have to key completely into the um, the humor of it to get a kick out of what what they're what they're doing on a different level, which is we talked about how good the music yeah. is. And we t- and this is very much a film that feels like they're they're in a strange way sending up the classic hammer Frankenstein right. films. Well and so uh, by marrying a score like yep. that to the, the the hammer visuals or the hammer visual style, you know, the period setting, right. the opulent the opulent uh, uh, rooms and sets and all, you know, all this stuff that we can see, all the visual elements that point you toward thinking about the hammer films. There and, and understand that within the structure, they're playing it straight, but they're playing it straight to a point to get to an over the top, you know. Builds, An over-the-top effect. Well, yeah. it's one of those things where um, 
you know, the actors are 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 pretty competent. I will say this though, uh, and I'll go to Joe D'Alessandro later. But you look at Udo, and you look at the lady playing his sister, uh, Monique mm-hmm. Van Voren. Uh, um, you can see that they're they're they've hired good actors. The thing is that oh yeah, that, she's she's yeah, quite they good. Throw, it throws you off by that the beautiful costumes, the fact that they've got a real exterior, beautiful castle. The sets are really nice. And mm-hmm. uh, and like 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 when they first show uh, um, Udo and he's yelling at Otto, I mean the whole walls of his of his office or whatever look have Gustav Klimt. I mean you can tell it's, it looks like it's hand painted, Gustav Klimt style patterning all over the thing. And I'm, you kind of start looking at that and going, well, this has got serious production values. It's almost like it throws you off from expecting a comedy. You know, it's 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 oh and yeah exactly. Yeah, and then but it slowly it slowly slowly builds. And if you're one of those people that doesn't accept it as a comedy by the end, and we'll talk about the big big send off at the end. If you're still sitting there going, God, this is just still a bad film. I mean, even I was at the point of going, Wait a minute, is this supposed to be a <laughs> comedy? If it isn't, well, yeah, well, the, if that fine that this final like that final minute doesn't doesn't drive it home yeah. for you. Then you know you're you're just no, you're not paying right. attention. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. Well, not. luckily with your uh, stepmom, she already knew it, and I think I you know they've always said uh, humor is learned. Whether you decide Buster Keaton is funny, whether you decide Monty Python is funny, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. and that's the thing. Your 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 stepmom was already in on the joke. Uh, Oh, very much so. She was giddy that this that she was going to get the chance to see this right. Again. And and for you, you looked over her and just well, she's laughing. She's la-, and that helped you. I didn't have that. What we had was a bunch of students at the student union going, "What the fuck?" <laughs> you know, we didn't. You know, <laughs> it's a, it, you know, well, yeah, y'all are just tossed into the deep end like anybody would have been going in to see this the theatrically in 1973, yeah. going, "What in the." Hell, am I looking yeah, it's at? funny too. I remember around that time. I think it was Famous Monsters, and I don't remember they were both in the same issue or whatever. But that 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 film was discussed. I think the Dracula was too. But then also, um, uh, a little sh- uh, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and it was funny the way they really ripped into him because at the time, I mean, Famous Monsters dealt with classic monsters up until you know maybe some TV movies and the latest Hammer films and stuff like that. But for them, I remember harsh criticism of of uh, of uh, especially the the Andy Warhol Frankenstein. I, I I think if I remember correctly, they weren't nice to uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show at the time either. But you know, as we know, uh, Rocky Horror uh, you know didn't have to worry about that ultimately the way that it came back yeah. later. But at the time, nobody really paid much attention to it, and it was sort of like if you're expecting some kind of an actual horror film here or something, forget it. And uh, yeah, it, it happens. It happens when you've got movies that are now beloved that at the time were were really ripped into. Um, yeah. So I had a thought. I think when you and I. Um, go to conventions from now on i think you and i both need to get yeah. little sports caps like like guys you know little um uh, tweed caps and i think we need to meet up at one of our houses and get in that little cart with that little pony and just ride to wherever we're supposed to go even if it takes like five days <laughs> we put mark and rodney on the side it's like oh god it's barnett and maddox and just ride to our little thing with that little pony oh just, you know, sort of taking that little bell tingling all the way till we finally kill each other, you know. 
You know, you've you've had a lot of bad ideas in your day. This may be the worst. Well, this is done in a Paul Morrissey sort of way, so it might be the best. See what I'm saying? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Oh, wait, before I forget this, let me ask a question because this is – this is something that kind of occurred to me, and then I was I was noticing some other people's thoughts along similar lines, which is the idea that, in a weird way, Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula are these warped <laughs> Italian versions of the carry-on yeah. movies. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I th- I think if I even remember, there was something one of the th- one of the extras on the on the disc that that came with the Frankenstein film. I swear that the the carry-on films might have even been mentioned real briefly. Oh I, yeah, yeah, they they were that that which is I I had made a note about you know the the carry on movies and then as soon as somebody else said it I went ah ha 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 yeah okay, okay so at the time somebody was thinking this as well because those thing you know those things were were massive you know were a massive box office for you know like fifteen plus years yeah I finally so, watched yeah. one uh, I don't know if I saw a good one or a bad one or an in between one or whatever but it was sort of like boy that really is something of its time period. Uh, what, which one did you see? Because I've only ever seen one. I, I really don't know. I think it had bus drivers in it or something. It, it's been it's been ten oh, years, okay. and I think I watched it on YouTube. So I've got to see one of these things. Uh, well, it was a few years ago. I finally watched Carry On Screaming, which is their right. Horror, I've seen pictures their, their, from it. You know, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Kind of, and I'll be I'll be honest. Uh, it, I, I I really enjoyed it, but I you know I don't think it's a right. great film. And I, I and the type of humor that they're doing, it's like I realized that it, I realized while watching it that if this was not a send up of a genre that I love, I would be counting the hairs on my forearm. You know, it'd be like, <laughs> come on, man, enough, yeah. enough, enough. But uh, I, I did enjoy Carry On Screaming, which is the yeah, only one that and, I've seen. and like I said, the one that I saw, I saw it on YouTube, probably a you know a, a five by seven inch image. You know, I don't I don't really remember it. I cannot sit there and classify those films. Uh, I haven't seen enough of them, but um, you know, so mm. this so this movie's got um, uh, you know Joe D'Alessandro in it, uh, and right. who is so. What is he? Is he a New Yorker or New Jersey? Uh, and he definitely got the accent from that part of the country. Well, I mean, he he he, grew, he he was born in Pensacola, Florida. By the way, go figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a he was a Navy brat and uh, ended up in uh, you know ended up in uh, Harlem and and uh, was uh, was uh, he was uh, part of a foster family uh, in uh, Brooklyn. What do you mean? Is then, he was uh, born? He was born to a Navy Navy family at the time and then what they got a divorce yeah yeah yeah. his uh his father was uh in the in the navy um right his, his mother was 16 when he was born and then by the time joe was five uh his uh his mother was in prison for auto theft wow yeah so uh joe and his brother bobby were uh taken to new york by their father uh, who by that time was out of the Navy was an electrical engineer and both were placed into the uh, the Angel Guardian home in Harlem because their fa- their father could not could not do any you know he couldn't do it uh, and then it, they were uh, fostered out to a couple in Brooklyn the, their father would would visit them about once a month at their foster parents home so it's not like their father was completely out of their lives okay but, right right yeah yeah so. Um, Initially, apparently, the the foster thing worked out well, but then Dallas, you know, Joe rebelled, game, you know, started acting out, and by 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 a couple of years into his teenage years, he was uh, he and his brother both moved out to Queens to live with their uh, paternal grandparents and and their father 
and then he was expelled from school at 15 because he punched the school principal and wow <laughs> yeah 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 and so uh essentially by his late teens he was uh supporting himself by doing a bunch of nude modeling and he started appearing in uh, short films and magazine photos uh, because, well, you take a look at him and you realize it's not that hard to figure out why that, why he could get those kinds of jobs. Right, right. He was in good shape. And then in 67, uh, in 67, he met Andy Warhol and Paul Morrissey, and they, uh, they, ca- they cast him on the spot and started putting him in, well, Morrissey started putting him in every film that he made. Right. Uh, and so he was in Flesh in '68, playing a hustler, and and uh, you know he had a lot, had a lot of nude scenes, which of course was nothing special for Joe D'Alessandro at that point. He was doing nude modeling, of course, at that point for years. Right. And then uh, he just got carried along by that. And what's funny to me is that, well, not funny, but I mean, you know, wonderful for Joe D'Alessandro is that it was going over to Italy to shoot these, you know, the two Frankenstein, and, Frankenstein and Dracula films with Morrissey that uh, kind of took him into a full-blown movie career, I mean, like a real movie career, yeah. in that he just he just never came back until, you know, like a decade and a half later. He just stayed in Italy and made movies. Yeah, yeah. He, um, uh, it's very interesting, and this is part of the thing where you should know it's a comedy, just when he starts talking. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing to have Udo talking with his accent, but it's another thing... You know, where he's just saying, goes, I, I, I've been friends with you all your life. And you're sort of like, <laughs> you're sort of like, really? And what country are yep. we in? Because it damn sure feels like we're in Brooklyn or something or, you know, or this, that or the other. And uh, it's um, it's funny to, that he gets thrown into both films that this and Dracula with that accent with no attempt to hide it, you know, somehow, oh, yeah. somehow Sean Connery gets away with his Scottish accent in Humphrey Red October, but Joe D'Alessandro does not get away with his New York accent in, uh, in, in this film. Uh, well, what's weird is that in a strange way, uh, watching it this, you know, this time through with the Blu-ray, uh-huh. I have to admit, <clears throat> that having Joe D'Alessandro's accent be so different yeah. from everyone else's, it kind of made me think, wow, in a weird way, it automatically separates him from the other people. In other words, the aristocrats sound like Europeans, and he sounds like an American. And it reminded me of what uh, the, what they did in casting Spartacus, where the slaves were all played by Americans, and the Romans were all played by Brits. Uh-huh. And it becomes this thing where I don't know that that's what they were aiming for at all, but in the end, it kind of works out that way and works pretty effectively. In a comedy. Yeah, yeah, in a comedy. I mean, if you were sitting here doing a historical drama, if you were the guy directing, you said, hey, this guy's pretty good, I'd be I'd be the producer, I'd be putting my fingers around your throat and throttling you. But yes, as a comedy, it's, it's sort like of he could like, be pretty good if we're going to post dub him. Yes. But, yeah. You know. Yeah. He's, but you know, there are some moments in this film where it's, it's almost his expressions that I like. I like his sort mm-hmm. of like, you know, Hey, you go to hell sort of attitude with, with some of it or, 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 or the downtrodden or you know, he's getting yelled at and he just slumps his shoulders and listens while he's getting yelled at. But moments in the film, like where his best friend who's been, you know, I'm going to jump ahead here has been decapitated, uh, and the head has been put on the body of a bigger man. Uh, and, uh, D'Alessandra's in there serving dinner to, uh, Frankenstein and his sister slash wife, which is wife, a whole interesting yeah. thing about the movie. Uh, but when he sees his friend's head on this other body, 
not understanding what had happened, but it just the look, the intense look on his face, like what the freaking f is going on? You know, yeah, I mean, it's like I, he he cannot. Figure he does that. Or later at the end of the film, when the doctor throws his own chopped off hand at him, he's got this look like, Ugh, get that, <laughs> get that cut off <laughs> hand off of me, will you, man? But uh, it's 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 interesting. He's such it's such a a bizarre form of casting. But I don't know. Like I said, like the rest of the film, it's kind of grown on me, you know. Well, yeah, and it and it like I say, it it's it's bizarre beyond belief. Yeah. But in a weird way, it works because of the type of film that it is. Yeah. So what we've got is we've got Frankenstein always talking to Otto, and I love I love the circuitous way that he talks. He starts yelling at Otto, and then he starts talking about something in his school days, and then he starts talking about, and then he's like, "No, it's okay, Otto, it's all right," you know. And Otto, let's talk about Otto for a little bit because this guy, if any if any human <laughs> being could be classified as an evil Rankin and Bass puppet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it's, it. It's Otto. Let's talk about this and the, guy. The, the, the actor's name is Arno Jurgen or Jurgenen. I'm not sure. I, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name, although I've now heard it said a couple of times. But yeah, he's he's over the top in a loon in this movie. Yes. The eyes bug out. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I would. I'm looking at his name, and this would be my attempt. Would be Arno Arno Jurgening is how is how what I would say because of that the the U with the two dots above it, you know. But mm-hmm. anyway, it doesn't. It looks like he made maybe ten films at the most, or something like that. Maybe eight to ten. Uh, but yes, he's he's the he's almost the wildest thing in the movie. I mean, when his eye in a way when they look at him yeah. and go, you know, when your eyes are supposed to bug out. Let's really get him to bug out. Let's have you look up and down with your eyes for five minutes while you're being yelled at. But there are funny moments like when the when when um, uh, you know Frankenstein's talking to him and he'll do little things. This is where I started thinking of him as being like a Rankin and Bass puppet. He goes, "Oh." Like that, you know, it's just sort of like, anyway, when I was in school, the kids did not understand me. Oh, like that. Like he's so, he so loves Frankenstein. And I get the feeling that by the time we get to the end of the film, there is a uh, underlying, why are you so acting this way? And even Frankenstein's yelling at him. And it's sort of like, I think that they're saying Otto's in love with Frankenstein. Well, it's I don't know that it, I don't know if it would be love so much as it's that that strange thing that, you know, you get with dogs who, you know, no matter what you do to the dog, the dog won't leave its master, no matter how cruel or yeah, it's the devil, you crazed. know, the, the devil, you know, yeah, kind of thing. And yeah. he, well, it's sort of like at least this. But then when uh, uh, Frankenstein's oh God, I hate saying this, sister slash wife who's a complete, <laughs> complete sex maniac freak comes down and decides that she's going to make sure that the Frankenstein monster knows how to fuck. <laughs> it took you a while like, to get well, that. You know that the head on the body of the monster was some guy that was either A, gay, or B, going to go into the monastery. Whether it's both or a mix, because he just doesn't seem to be interested. They show him in the brothel earlier, and the girl's showing him his breasts, and he goes, yes, they are all right. 
you know, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, you know, like, clearly he, he is coded as as gay. And, you know, and, it, and what I love is that it's it's clear that his very heterosexual friend played by Joe D'Alessandro does not care. He's his friend. But at the same time, the the comedic mix up of thinking they're getting this you stud, know, you know, stud <laughs> heterosexual guy to be the to be uh, the the uh, driving force, so to speak, of their monster. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it's so funny because it, it's weird. By the end of the film, Frankenstein and his and his sister wife uh, hate each other. I mean, it just seems like oh, oh, you always have to talk about mother and father, you know. And it's <laughs> yes, like, and it's like, and it's uh, you know, and she's bitter and she takes lovers into her bed and all that kind of stuff. And Joe D'Alessandro's in there, uh, you know, but. But near the end of the movie, they kind of team up. I say, thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. You know, and she's going to take the monster back to her bed and uh, and basically teach him how to do what he's supposed to do. But once again, we've yeah. got this the brain of a guy who really is sort of disinterested and is just obeying commands. I'm uh, we, we before we rush headlong into this, because I think we're just going to be jumping around. I don't think we're going to take any kind yeah, of I guess know, not. Str- strict straight line through this thing at all. And that's per- that's perfectly fine. But I, before we get too far away from it, I want to point out that the movie opens and closes. It, it's bookended with the Frankenstein children. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the lab, kind of playing around and and seeing, you know, looking at the you know their 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 father's uh, implements and and tools and all the you know all the stuff that's in there, including you know you know breathing into you know, this bizarre lung and heart situation that's uh, outside of a body but being kept alive, all this kind of stuff, and it's absolutely fascinating because it it is a brilliant bookend to the story because it points it points to something that. A, a, a dark comedy is really good at, which is the real horror of this stuff is what it does to everything around them and whatever the next generation is going to think. The, the coarsening of whatever the next generation will think of. In other words, it will just get worse from here. And they're not you know, pointing directly at it and having someone look at the camera and say that, but that's the point of having that at the beginning, which is this kind of, you know, with the opening scene when you're watching the kids play acting with a doll you know, play acting with a doll about, uh, you know, surgery or whatever. And then at the end, they are clearly on their way to acting that out on a real human being. Because all the restrictions, all the societal restrictions are gone. Their parents are dead. Everyone is dead. And there's no one to stop them. And and they have this trussed up Joe D'Alessandro now to play with. Yeah. the kids, it's interesting, too, because I, they they take one of their dolls and they put it in a guillotine and, and its head gets cut off. But there's actual a little spot of blood under mm-hmm. the head afterwards, which was sort of interesting. I thought, is that in their minds? Is that was there something alive in there? You know, what's what's the deal with this thing? The kids are what's the word that they used to use uh, or they don't they still use it where you're they, they say it with like killers like real insane killers and stuff like there's a word for it where you don't pay think anything of what you're doing it's what you want to do and it's um god i'm trying to think i used to know the word real well i used to use it a lot well i mean it's 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 are you talking about a psychopath or are you talking no psychopath this is where you just very it's it's like this is what i want to do this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to rant and rave. I'm not going to go Jack Nicholson over this this psychopathic thing I'm going to do. I just do it. <clears throat> um, I'll, I'll, we'll probably cut this this line out. 
here because I don't want to get political, but um, Dick Cheney, what they said about him, there was a word for it where you just did what you wanted to do. It's what I want to do. It's sort yeah, of like yeah. an American psycho, that kind of thing where where uh, you just felt you wanted to do it. And you didn't even give a damn what societal norms were or or anything. Anyway, the kids are already like that. The, 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 the parents are doing crazy stuff. But what happens when you take a newborn, start them at a newborn, and have them seeing this stuff for these kids look like they're, what, maybe six and eight years old, maybe ten at the most. And they're they're seeing this stuff. They're, they're, they're watching their parents. They're watching their mother have sex with guys other than their dad. They're watching the dad do bizarre experiments. They're watching Otto from this hidden room that's above the lab and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sort of like, yeah, by the time they bloom – it's going to be even worse. It's going to be way worse. So um, that is one thing. There's a scene near the end of the movie at the very end, and we'll, the whole body, everybody's dead, except for Joe D'Alessandro is um, hanging, hanging from, his, from arms. his arms from earlier, and we'll get into that in a few minutes. But um, the kids are there, and they basically, without saying any words, they walk into the room. There's carnage all over the place. D'Alessandro is the last living adult in the place hanging by his arms and the kids go over to a table pick up some scalpels walk over show him the scalpels and we realize they're going to start experimenting on him now people make their movies and they tell their own stories i'm not going to sit there and try to second guess guess it but i'll tell you this at the very end i'm watching it and they're slowly starting to crank and move joe delisandro to whatever advantage point they want so they can start cutting him open he's right there next to that little girl right hanging there mm-hmm. i swear to god the last thing i do just okay you guys are going to do this but the last <laughs> thing i do i bring that beetle boot that he's wearing i'd bring it up under that girl's chin and do my damnedest to kick her head off I would if I would. Oh, little girl with the scalpel going to cut me open and stuff. I'm hanging her. She's less than a couple of feet away from his leg. I would. Well, I, I mean, uh, you 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 have a history of wanting to kill children. So hey, let's just be honest hey, about hey, this. Hey. <laughs> well, the thing is, what I love is that I I really I, I do kind of want like a se- a sequel sequence where we get to watch Joe D'Alessandro's character attempt to talk his way out of the situation. Yeah, he did kind of get quiet uh, there. It's like, uh, Joe, uh. You thought about maybe you might like to, you know, speak up a little bit here for a minute or, hey, hey, who's going to cook <laughs> your meals? Who's going to bring you food at night? Not me because I'm going to be dead, dead because you've got me. Yeah, exactly. That's what I keep as what as that, that's what I keep expecting to start happening is him to start trying to find a way to sweet talk himself down off that freaking yeah, thing. They, they're going to kill him because they hate his accent. So, <laughs> well, that accent means that he's a peasant. Obviously. Uh, yeah, really from Brooklyn. So, uh, oh well. Uh, before we go too further, I uh, did you recognize the the little girl, the little redheaded, blue eyed girl? Um, not necessarily. W- who was it? Oh well, uh, her name was uh, Nicoletta El- uh-huh. Elmi, and she's this uh, little Italian actress who, as a little girl, was in. <laughs> hold on to yourself here. She was in Death in Venice. Huh? Bava's Bay of Blood. Oh, okay. Uh, the Giallo, Who Saw Her Die? Right. She was in Bava's Barren Blood. Oh. 
She was in uh, Argento's Deep Red. Uh-huh. <laughs> so as a little girl within the space of years, it's like you can't miss her. It's like she's got uh, she's got the this that striking red hair and blue eyes yeah. and and she she it's just one of those things where it's just like, my god, how many movies did this little girl make? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a pretty good track record for somebody that age. Uh, oh, I know. And the the thing is, as a as a slightly older girl in you know uh, in her early twenties, she turned up in uh, Demons for Lamberto Bava. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now the little boy. It's funny because I there's a scene where you know they're arguing about the parents at the dinner table or whatever, mm-hmm. and the little kid looks over, and for a split second I thought, but then I did the math in my head and I said, there's no way the the years don't make sense. But that that kid gives the exact same stare back down to the mother that the kid in Conan the Barbarian, who played Conan as a kid, oh, looked yeah, looked yeah. exactly that exact same expression and everything that he did to Thulsa Doom when he decapitated his mom. Yeah, okay. And it's sort of that kind of look. And for a second, I thought, is that the same guy? Is this just like, you know, well, I did the math, and I'm like, well, Conan's 79. No, no, it can't It's be. not, but it was still that same look, that, that like, you know what the hell's wrong with you sort of look but anyway um so let's see so we know he's looking for the exceptional nose and they go out and they're going to go to the brothel to find some stud which is so funny there's this you're filthy you're ugly you're you know this kind of stuff and yet where are we going to go to get the stud that we need the stud brain for for our monster well, we must go to the brothel and so they they go over to the brothel and they mistakenly think that these two women running outside screaming and stuff have been you know this man's sexuality is so overpowering that they had to run away that it's actually a lizard crawling on Joe. <laughs> cr- 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 uh, there's a lizard crawling on Joe D'Alessandro's naked ass, uh, and of course that D'Alessandro picks it up and puts it into the camera lens for the 3D. That uh, you know, if you don't have it in 3D, it's going to be okay. That's a weird angle, but uh, so they so then they decide they're going to get this guy, cut his head off. Uh, D'Alessandro and him are, are drunk. They're they're walking home at night, and to me, uh, you know, when Otto comes out of the bushes and hits him with this big Barney Rubble looking club, and then he falls on the ground, <laughs> yes. and then and then Udo comes up with this pair of, of giant head chopping shears, which I wonder what the hell those things actually are. That was that. that that's up? a that's a kind of garden implement for for uh, it's like a farm implement to to, to to chop wheat or things like you know it's, it's well, things it, like it that. Doesn't, yeah, but it's weird. The shape of it is like around the size of a neck or something. It's all made out. It looks like it's made out of copper or brass or something. Uh-huh. Anyway. So we get to the Carlo Rimbaldi's one of his special effects, where uh, yeah, back before he had the Spielberg budget, where where uh, Otto hits D'Alessandro, he falls down, and then Frankenstein gets uh, our our victim with this pair of uh, chopping shears, and the head is like really uh, very plasticky looking. He lifts it up, and blood squirting out of it, and the uh-huh. the, the 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 rest of the body is still a lot like kicking and struggling and all this kind of stuff. With Otto beating the hell out of it with this stick, <laughs> he keeps clubbing the body. It's just, yeah, it's like I don't know. What at, the, at that point, I mean, I, I'm going to say I, I'll keep I'll try to keep myself from saying this repeatedly throughout the recording of this right. podcast, people. But there are mo- so many moments in this movie where I, it's it's feels to me that if you don't get the humorous nature of this, I, I don't know what's going on with you. <laughs> well, I think I think for back when it came out, for some people, it was humor's learned, and I think that in, in this case, it's one of those things where the guy was winking, 
And some people were just saying, well, that's not funny. I've, I've seen people tell jokes that are pretty good jokes. Yeah. And somebody goes, well, that's just really not that funny. And it's like, no, to you, it's not funny to people that you know, you know, can can get this. It's like I said when I was younger. I didn't understand Monty Python the first few years that I saw, him, which is interesting, by the way. The Dark Knight, the Black Knight, or whatever in in Monty Python. A year or two after the ending of this film and the ending of uh, of Dracula, Andy Warhol's Dracula. You know, it's sort of like, hey, those came out before the Black Knight scene in in Monty Python, but that was flamingly a comedy to know death Otto you have to fuck life in the gallbladder uh, the guy who was the producer of this film Carlo Ponte what uh, what an interesting cat he was <laughs> I was uh, yeah. I, I didn't know much about him until uh, looking into uh, the background for how this film came about because Paul Morrissey talks about in that uh, interview on the on the disc on the blu-ray about how uh, they, they just went in and talked to him and uh, the whole idea was, well, okay, you want to you want to do a Frankenstein film, you know, what? How much money would it take, and how long? And he just pulls on Morrissey just pulls the three hundred thousand uh, dollars. It takes us about three weeks. And Ponty's uh, immediate thought was, hmm, well, okay, well, how, why don't you do two? <laughs> it's just one of those things where you're going, yeah. okay, so who was this guy? And he's like, well, he was the the husband of uh, Sophia Loren, so he's. Uh, pretty famous i mean he produced la strada and and dr Zhivago and stuff like that so he was he was like a yeah. big big time you know italian film producer and he's also producing things like this and i i kind of wonder to a degree what you know what was it all just money on was it all just money to him or was he did he have any kind of i mean he had money behind one of my favorite uh giallos from the 70s torso uh, he, you know, he produces Zabrinsky Point and and uh, uh, just and blow up, you know, the tenth victim, Operation yeah. Crossbow. He's one of those guys who, you know, War and Peace in '56, it, it, high and low film, it just seemed to be it was, it's just movies for him. Yeah, and I mean, I, I probably watched that same interview with uh, Paul Morrissey you did, where he said he just kind of came in, talked to him for a minute, and then left. He wasn't too concerned with it when they got stuff going. It was sort of like, yeah, okay, it sounds good. Have at it. And then left. I mean, that's a director's dream, you yeah. know, to just to be given the money and be left alone. I mean, there's so many movies that we've heard horror stories of, you know, producers and suits and stuff uh, getting involved in mucking a film up. One of those things where you would not put, uh, you know, Andy Warhol's Dracula in the same thing with Dr. Zhivago. You sort of look at him and go, that's from two different people. I swear, I'm positive, in a court of law. And it's like, nope, <laughs> same, like, same nope. producer. Pretty amazing. But you know what? He, he made he made cheesy stuff. He made great stuff, too. So I love The Tenth Victim. That's I lo absolutely mm -hmm, love that mm -hmm. movie. That's probably the first, at what we used to call it at the time, first foreign film I think I ever saw outside of other than Japanese monster movies or maybe in an Italian horror film or two but that was the one that i was like man i love this movie well, i'm pretty sure that the first foreign movie i saw that you know that i knew was a foreign movie was probably yojimbo oh well yeah that's a yeah that's a great yeah, movie yeah, yeah. but that's a great film that's like high high-end cinema it's, I, you know, I, I did i didn't know what it was i was watching it i'd been told all i'd been told before watching yojimbo was this is uh, this is what uh, Fistful of Dollars was a remake of, and I went, oh, oh, okay. Well, let's let's 
check this out. And you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, love both of those films. They, they kind of feed off of each other. You find out that you know Kurosawa had some films that were based on uh, Shakespeare. Oh yeah. And, and you know, they, everybody kind of borrows from each other. Uh, ultimately, in the end, is the final product something that stands on its own? And the answer with those films is yes. So uh, we've got our guy. One thing that's strange about this movie is there are moments when you know that uh, Udo's character is a complete hypocrite as well as being nuts. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's, he's a freak, freak pervert in comparison to the people that he's yelling at, you know, going to the brothel with the women with the big breasts and all that. Before we, before we go too far into that, the, the, the mixing of sex together with surgery in this film is completely insane. And it, it seems as if they were choosing to go in that direction with the idea that they, I mean, remember folks, this was a film that was rated X at the time. And at the time X did not mean pornography. X meant, this is a film that only adults are going to be allowed to see. I mean, remember, it was only a few years before this that an X-rated film, Midnight Cowboy, won the Oscar for Best Picture. So this is a situation where they were obviously going over the top with the, the sex and violence to get that X rating. Because, in a way, the X rating was a selling point. Yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> There's things in this, and I can't remember which came first, the chicken or the egg, no pun intended, where Frankenstein takes his hands in and puts them inside the, the open wound. He's cut open the wound on the female mm -hmm. creature. You want to say monster, but they don't really look like monsters per se. Uh, but it opens up this giant wound on this naked woman laying on the table and he's and he puts his hands down inside the guts he starts pulling them out like he's you know like their ingredients in a big stew or something and looking at each part feeling them up with his hands and he's starting to get off on it and the woman on the table her eyes open up and she kind of moves around a little bit i'm like wait a minute so there is no creation scene in this movie these creatures are kind of alive even if he pulls parts of their guts out and starts and then pulls them out and looks at each part and, and then puts it all back in just like, okay, let's, oh man, if surgery was that easy, we'd be doing it at home. Uh, <laughs> and there's this, and there's a scene earlier on too, speaking of guts, which was for the 3d where Otto shows a piece from some person he got and holds it up for the camera, right in its face for the 3d effect. But what I love is he goes, okay, put it back in the solution, Otto. And so he puts the thing back in the solution and he gets this giant stirring rod. It's like he's baking frickin' iced tea or something. He starts twirling it around. You know, the chunks of meat are trying to stay together. The organ's trying to stay intact and all that kind of stuff, but it can't because Otto's beating the hell out of it with this stirring rod. So we get to we get to Frankenstein down the road. He's he's touching all the touching all the separate organs and all that kind of stuff and getting off on it. And he gets up on the table with the with the open wound on the woman and has sex with it and then says, What was the line exactly? To understand life, you must fuck it in the gallbladder or some crazy crap like that. Uh -huh. I think that was one time where everybody in the theater really did bust out laughing at that first viewing. Uh, but, you know, it's like, yep, that's pretty different. <laughs> it's a whole lot of different. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the the thing to, the thing for me that it, I, I always try to... to to, to think back to when the film came out and what they were, you know, what was surrounding them at the time. What was what were they reacting to? What are the things that had come out before that were kind of influencing the way they were thinking about this? 
And of course, we're, we've talked about how the, you know, it's very much a, a, a kind of perverse variation on the Hammer, you know, Hammer Frankenstein stuff, all the Hammer stuff, where it's 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 an attempt to push that into the realm of the ridiculous, uh, you know, it, it, for, because there was there was a subset of cinephiles who always found the the Hammer period horror stuff to be mildly ridiculous in the first place, and it's like you know that's all fine and well for them. I am not of that. I am not of that ilk, but I understand that if you were already halfway to finding it amusing in the first place, taking that last little step over the over the line into insanity is is exactly what. Uh, you know, some uh, shall I call them? Shall I call them? You know, nose in the air types would would uh, gravitate toward immediately. It'd be the kind of thing that they would think was just the perfect uh, encapsulation of just how ridiculous they found it all to begin with. But the X-rated nature of it, in other words, shoving it into that over-the-top, bloody, violent, sexual. Uh, kind of bizarre, you know, just the the, the types of perversion. I mean, starting, you know, st- we, we've already talked about the fact that the the Frankenstein character is is married to his sister and they have children. We're already talking about incest from Jump Street, so it's not as if we're 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 looking at this and 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 thinking that there was some underlying level of seriousness to to how they were approaching this. Every level of how the story is constructed is constructed to make everybody kind of go ick. And that's yeah. fine because that's what the whole movie is. Because let's let's be clear about something else. If you if you're looking for a plot heavy movie, you have struck out because this is there's not a, a whole lot of plot in this film. There's a story, but it's just a slow meander. There's never it doesn't the only time there's any real uh, you know fast paced thrust of any kind of motion or anything like that. Is right at the very end when you know the the violence against um, Frankenstein starts him. You know the, the when when that cranks up into gear, and his monster turns on him, and and you know hands get lopped off and spears get shoved through torsos. That's the only time when it doesn't feel like we're just carefully meandering slowly through whatever it, whatever this story is. And the thing is, I'm not saying it's boring. I never find this film boring because. It's absolutely gorgeous to look at. It is beautifully photographed, and the histrionics of the of the characters, the 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 over the top nature, especially you know, we've talked about Udo Kier, but you you can't you can't turn away from both him or the the sexual shenanigans going on with uh, the wife slash sister character and Joe D'Alessandro. There's a constant parade of nudity and strange. Just strange elements. I mean, we haven't talked about the fact that the the you know the you know the, of course you, you mentioned the famous line you know you the, the only way to know life is to to is essentially to fuck it in the gallbladder. Great, wonderful. But what he's just done at that point is to have sex with the female. I mean, and as far as we can tell from the positioning of his body, is not exactly he's not he's not thrusting into the normal orifice for a female. He is actually having sex with an open wound, and this is um, truly, truly disgusting really and strange. Sick about the way you describe it, this is even worse than the movie. <laughs> I mean, watching it's one thing, but have you sit here and like, okay, class? Here's what's going this on. This is a scene with sex in the wound. Well, I mean, there's a, I mean, we're talking about the, you know, licking of a sutured wound and and all kinds of things. This is this is these are the things that are on display in this movie. It's uh, it's 
it's it's bizarre and it's uh yeah it's and it's built to be bizarre that is the point of what we're looking at there are moments in this film and it doesn't even have to be necessarily just straight out and out gross some of them are 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 gross in a way without being what's the word i'm looking for without being guts uh one of the one of the best scenes in the whole movie that i remember when everybody in the theater was watching it the first time i saw it it was like what 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 what's going on what is she doing the famous armpit sucking sequence Mm -hmm. where she answers everything in a kind of uh morse code when he asks her a question when joe delisandro is asking her a question she's got her face up in his armpit because they're in her bedroom having sex (laughs) go figure (laughs) and and uh, they're laying there naked and she's and he asks her a question and she goes And I'm like, what the hell? And then he asked her another question, and she answered. You know, I mean, uh, it's like, it it still astounds me when I see it, you know. And I'll actually like, hey, Linda, come in here and watch this, you know. And she'll be like, oh God, you know, uh, you got to see, you got to see this armpit sucking sequence. It's fantastic, <laughs> um, you know. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm amazed that they got some of the actors to do what they got them to do because it seems like they jumped in. They jumped in to the swimming pool and paddled around. You know, uh, she seemed like she didn't have any problem with doing the scene she was doing. And yes, she was. Um, she did the sex scene. She did the feeling up scene. She did the the, the, the yelling and screaming scenes. Yeah. She did the I'm better than you scenes. And she also did the, you know, making the monster hold her so tight that her back and ribs and bones and everything break like a, and make the sound of a dang tree trunk cracking. And she does this armpit sucking scene and all that stuff. And he must've taken him in there and go, look, we're going to, we're going to pretend everything's straight while we're doing this, but this is just a straight out comedy. And yet, well, what Morrissey has said is that essentially they, they, and Udo Kier says this as well. in in a, in a few interviews, he's talked about it. They, they had a, they had an outline for the story. Okay. Yeah. So they knew essentially what they were going to be doing. And then Morrissey insists, and apparently this is true according to the actors, is that each day while driving to the studio, to, to Chinachita there in Italy, he, yeah. he would dictate dialogue and scenes that they were going to shoot that day. And that's what they would do. So yeah. as long as it fit within that broad outline, he knew he could edit it together as a film later on. So they didn't even have a completed script. They didn't have the, the idea was to not have a completed script and to just let the creativity take over while they were making the damn movie. Yeah, stream of consciousness almost. Yeah, which of course explains why it doesn't exactly have uh, a, a thundering pace. But at the same time, it's not like it's a, not a long movie. It's only what ninety three minutes, ninety five minutes, something like that. And it, yeah. but it does feel kind of operatic because of the pacing that the story takes place at. It, it doesn't. It's not fast paced. It is rather slow paced, but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel slow enough to get on your nerves because what's being put on screen, you know, being dreamed up, you know, every day as they shot this thing over the course of three or three and a half weeks is so interesting that you can't take your eyes off of it, whether you like it or not. It's one of those things where you're looking at it the entire time and going, what in the hell are they going to do next? What is yeah. what what freaking weird thing is going to be slopped across the screen next? 
Well, and that's when we get to the next scene. We've had the Baron get up on top and have sex with the wound of the female creature. And then we've had, you know, uh, his sister in their sucking armpit. She's his sister. She's his wife. They've had children together. She's a, a, a sexual beast. Uh, yeah. She's even later going to have sex with the monster to get him to get it up, you know. Uh, but then we've got this scene where we finally understand why Otto and Otto is already just a freak. I mean, he's hitting, you know, decapitated corpses that are still quivering. He's hitting them. He's 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 doing all kinds of stuff. But then the maid comes downstairs uh, and is and is just looking around in the lab and Otto comes in and his tongue's wagging all over the place like a dog. He starts chasing her through the place. <laughs> yes. And he basically got a one-track mind after he watched the Baron having sex with his female creature's wound and he does the same thing. He runs down there, grabs the maid's uh, uh, midsection and tears it open and she falls forward into a grating which is completely for the 3D effect. I mean all these guts are hanging in your face. Yeah. What's What's great about the scene is the guts fall through and there's this grating and she's laying there dead with her her dead face looking through the grating. And just in one of the squares, they must have really it must have been a bear to line this up, where Otto's face just perfectly goes into one of the uh, one of the frames of the grating and just looks down at her. And I'm like, that's a t-shirt. But it's <laughs> it's it's one of those where you just go like Jesus, yeah, Otto really is in the end. There's a reason why he is just the evil little freak in the Renfield mode or in the yeah, in the yeah. uh, uh, you know in the uh, Dwight Fry sort of mode. Uh, you know, and, and like I said, the, you know, it was it was great for the 3D at the time. Um, we've got a scene in here where Frankenstein comes in. He's getting suspicious. People are sort of. Um, messing around in his lab. We're not yes. sure if it's the kids or Dad got Alessandra or the sister or whatever. Probably the kids. And they try to get the monster to mate with the female creature. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because like, you know, he's uh Udo is there with Otto. The two creatures are standing there pretty much naked other than a little cod piece they've got for the for the monster. They pull that off so his junk is hanging out. And then and then <laughs> Udo looks over at the at the uh, the male creature and goes, "Kiss her, kiss her," or she or saying to her, "Kiss him, kiss him," and then they kiss and then they part and then Otto looks down at the monster's package, then kiss her, kiss him again, kiss him again, and then they kiss and then Otto looks down at the package and all that kind of stuff. And it it is so funny to where once again Udo gets to lose it. The vein pops out on his forehead. He's livid, and that's when the sister, you know, and him kind of get together and decide that uh, she's going to try to see what she can do with her advanced skills, <laughs> her advanced knowledge of the male her anatomy. Knowledge, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I mean that that scene just really. I, I, what did I put here in my notes? So the monster's dick doesn't work. That's what I wrote. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, because uh, the the creature in question appears to be gay, and that's you know. Well, they hide it, like you said. They hide it with the whole monastery thing, or whatever, yeah. or what do they call it too? Where you're just ambivalent about sex, which you know, to me, that's you know, at, at the at, at the age that I saw this film, I certainly wasn't. So uh, <laughs> uh, you look at uh, you look at, at this guy, and he's just like, it's not his thing, you know. Yeah, he's uh, just not interested. I think the part that would really drive me nuts is when earlier in the film when Delisandro says to him, so you're going to live off of bread and water, huh? 
and it's like <laughs> and the guy goes yeah it doesn't sound so bad you know and it's like sounds like shit to me man <laughs> it's like I, i'm gonna need some freaking potatoes or, or steak or something okay. at least some chicken jesus so <laughs> so you know later in the film D'Alessandro is becoming you know way more advanced in his knowledge as of tries to go down and 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 get the two creatures and wants to wants to take him away, wants to get him out of there. I mean, he's actually noble. I mean, D'Alessandro is not a bad guy or anything Well, yeah, like strange, that. strange as it may seem, uh, especially with the way the character acts in certain instances, he is actually trying to be the hero of the story. He's Yeah, I mean, you, it's, it's, uh, it, his character is a bit less um, in-your-face, uh, unlike the one in the Dracula film. But well, I'm going to not, I'm not want to talk about the Dracula film today, because I know we're going to save that one for later, and it's, it deserves its own show. Yeah, but yeah. in this one, he's a little bit more of a victim. He's a victim of the rich. He's, you know, yes, he is a, a horn dog. Yes, he's very good at getting the ladies into bed, and da da da. And he does and kinda, see himself as a victim of the rich too. So, and that's in, yeah. that, like I say, that's that's one of those moments in in the movie where it's very obvious that you know they're going to have you think about the class structure and how you know the difference between the the high and the low uh bits of society here yeah yeah i mean uh i know that he tries to um uh, to get them out the door with him and it doesn't work and then like i said the sister shows up Otto is um uh let's see god damn i've got so many notes here it's crazy i think i overdid it on the notes <laughs> um yeah, this is the thing where I, I kind of feel like Otto sort of shows his true intent. It's like I understand Frankenstein, whether he's in love with him in a sexual way or just is enamored with him or at least I, the devil I know. He starts you know, saying, why are you letting your sister take it? She's an outsider still from us and all that. And, of course, I love you know uh, Udo's response and yelling at him and all that kind of stuff and then ganging up with his sister. Of course, she takes him, you know, she takes the monster to the bedroom, and we know what happens to her. He doesn't, he, he takes commands literally and then ends up crushing her when she says, hold me. Yeah. Of course, I don't know. By the time she starts saying no, though, he's still doing it. I wonder if by that point he's on autopilot and goes, this woman just needs to die. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and then with, with uh, Udo having chewed Otto out, uh, he turns around and looks at Delisandre, who's now been, you know, tied up and is hanging there by his arms. I, I don't know. They had to have put him on a chair for a lot of those scenes. I can't imagine a person hanging there for for as know. long as those scenes go on. Yeah. Yeah, it's like get him down or get something under his legs because you you really hurt somebody. Dude. I don't give a damn what age you are. Yeah, you'd end up but, you'd end up tearing muscles or tendons or something. But once again, you know, auto goes on, no pun intended, get this, <laughs> autopilot, and uh, gets... But it... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the ending of Raging Bull. But uh, he's... Uh, and he's sitting... And he goes and he grabs the female uh, creature or whatever and does the exact same thing. He's on autopilot and he does the exact same thing he did to the maid after watching Frankenstein. It was like, you know, he's going to have... Have have sex with her wounds or whatever, and she tears her guts open. Or he tears her guts open, and she falls down. And he, oh, she's dead! And it's like, really? <laughs> I wonder. I'm surprised that that happened. <laughs> because Frankenstein comes in and he starts yelling and screaming, and then the monster comes back with the dead sister, and which is so funny because Udo is screaming 
just good quality, high quality screaming and yelling and stuff. And he turns around and he's just, he goes, oh, 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 no, like that, <laughs> lays her on the ground. And she's dead, Otto's dead, the, the, the female creature's dead, and they're starting to stack up. You know, they're sort of like, you know, like uh, like a bunch of folding chairs blown over in a storm or something. They're all kind of on top of each other. Yeah. And then and then <laughs> Frankenstein, who's completely and totally off the chain and is looking at at blaming everything on Joe D'Alessandro, goes, it's all your fault. And then he, go, he goes to the monster and he goes, kill him, kill him now. And then he doesn't do it. But I love absolutely love Udo's seizure screaming where he sort of rattles his whole body the veins really popping out on his forehead on oh, his Get neck it. his neck it, yeah. it, the veins are popping out on his neck to the point where it looks like I mean that looks painful man well I mean I'm going to tell you something having suffered from vertigo and I'm 60 years old I could not imagine acting a scene like that nowadays but even back then at his 20 some years old he is or mm-hmm. whatever age he is at the time it's still that super intensity that it seems like almost only a young person can get away with yeah, and yeah. not and not hurt themselves i mean he's all over the monster starts coming towards him he starts backing up and he's screaming do what they tell you to do and he's backing up and so as frankenstein's leaving the room the monster slams the gate to the room or whatever and chops frankenstein's hand off with this blood just pouring all over the place <laughs> he comes yes. back in the room it's so ridiculously he, over the top it's so funny though but he's sitting there he picks the hand the chopped off hand up tries to put it you know, like he's actually acting maybe if i hold it here it'll stick or something and then finally ends up throwing the hand at delisandro who's hanging up and then this once again another delisandro face and then the big monster gets sick and tired of his crap and rams him. what is one of those things isn't that one of those things that you used to use to pull or change chalkboards in a in a uh in a university or something yeah, it looks like yeah. one of those things runs him through it and his guts are hanging out off the tip and he dies you know with his my work will go on sort of thing and then you know What's well, his face? Of, and and of course, I, I you know we we he dies you know being phallically thrusted through with a with a with a spear type thing with his yeah. liver hanging on the end of it. Of course, and, which is so funny because the the monster's like looks looks at he doesn't look at the camera, but he looks at the at, at Frankenstein's face, then looks at the guts, then looks at Frankenstein's face, then looks at the guts. Then, I mean, it was just so funny. Uh, uh, but the thing you know. is, you mentioned earlier that look on Delisandro's face. No one does sneeringly disgusted better than Joe D'Alessandro in this film. Yeah, and it and it really I mean, like I said, he was in some pretty damn good movies and television shows later. I remember he was wasn't he the villain on uh uh, uh I know Tim Curry did it one year and and uh, um, uh, what's his face who got in trouble a few years ago. Uh it was Ken Wall. What was the name of that show? Oh wise guy? wise guy wasn't he the villain in one of those shows oh, yeah, for I think a day? So, yeah i think they did it for like a year they'd have a different well, villain he was, every on, year. he was on uh he was on at least one episode of miami vice he was in five episodes of wise guy i uh, saw him i was watching again the other night the new cut of uh cotton club he was in that yeah i need to see that i need to see that uh that cut of cotton club uh, i really i i i kind of liked the original film kind of because of certain aspects of it this is more and we'll, and i'll get off of this real quick this is more of here's the cotton club and the people that work in it and then here's this experience it's like it's almost like two worlds as a matter of fact i had to kind of explain it to my son he goes my, uh, and my son uh, son says dad i understand how come the lead black guy and the lead white guy just barely talk to each other and just i said these films are running simultaneously like two movies mm-hmm. 
and blacks and whites didn't really hang out that much, James. That's just the way it was back then, and yeah. it was kind of it was a head scratcher to him. I think the movie's pretty good. I think you ought to try it. But anyway, enough of the plug for that. But D'Alessandro's in it briefly, and and he he played to his strengths later in shows. He was good at looking evil for lack of a better term. Yes. He had a he had a mean, gritty look on his face that really worked and the accent worked, you know. But um so uh we're near the end. Uh Frankenstein is dying, his guts are hanging out, the 3D's looking pretty darn good. Uh then he finally dies and Delacenter goes he just says to his monster friend, he goes, hey, let's get the hell out of here. I mean, get you out of here. I'm your friend. And he and it's like the monster goes, no, I can't do it. And then tears his own guts open and falls falls over dead with his guts hanging out. So now we have this operatic pile of bodies all over the place. Yep. D'Alessandra's there hanging up going, what the hell? And then the kids come in and, like we said before, let them know we're going we're gonna to experiment on you. And then the beautiful romantic movie music cues up and yeah and instead of a fat lady singing we get small children who are about to disembowel someone <laughs> yeah i still would have kicked that girl in the head i don't care if you do have a career in jalo <laughs> you know <laughs> you know but um this is a, this i am not as enamored with um with uh uh I don't. I, I am not as enamored with certain kind of low budget films that are considered exploitative. I don't think I watch them as much as you do. Okay. I don't. I don't think I. I think as much of them as you do. We've had our back and forths about things that are good and things that are bad. And once again, it still comes down to opinion. Mm-hmm. I. I don't like. A, this is one of those where a film of this type gets through to me you know i mean a one that would be a more higher end of the exploitative would be something like suspiria or something this one is one of those that um i look at and go yeah it's it what's the old thing for every rule there's an exception or something this this and dracula to me are the the, kind of those exceptions i will continue to watch these films well these films these two films are a bizarre combination of kind of high and low culture. This is uh, this is yeah. uh, filmmaking that's trying to combine the uh, the the looking down and the disgust at you know the the disgust that the lower classes have with the 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 excesses of the of the upper class and the disgust the upper class have with the lower class rabble. And it's yeah. a, it's a it's a meeting in the middle of those two types of a thought process, and it. I, I have to say, uh, I I I find Paul Morrissey in the the interviews that I've seen of him, he seems such a curmudgeon is the wrong term. He just seems like an asshole, and uh, <laughs> he, he really does because I mean he constantly is he constantly is talking about how oh the world the world is over it's all garbage everything is trash and shit and it's like oh you, so in other words you're an old man and the world has changed and that's your response to it in other words you're not a very deep thinker and so the fact that i that i realize that he as he got older was not you know mentally agile enough to realize about himself that he was turning into one of the more disgusting aspects of what he was earlier in his career making fun of is kind of sad He's sort of enamored with what I noticed in the interview that I saw him do, which was at a convention. He's very enamored, uh, which I got to give him a little credit for. He's enamored with films from the 10s, 20s, and 30s. Oh, no, you know, probably so am I. But, you know, no, I know you are too. But what I'm saying is that seems to be where his comfort zone now. He, yeah. he sort of um, – um, 
it, 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 you know, he was talking about Fatty Arbuckle. He was talking about comedies. He mm-hmm. was talking about stuff from back then, and a lot of stuff names he was throwing out I hadn't even heard of. But he loves Turner classic movies and stuff like right. that, as as we all do. And if anything, you know, it's in some aspect that always has to run. If we ever lived in a world where they didn't show older films, you know, it would be we'd be a sorry place. True. Um, I find myself not as enamored with some kinds of films, but like when you and I were kids or, well, you're a little younger than me, but like, like when I was a kid, like when I was like five, Westerns were very common. Musicals were very common. War films were very common. Uh, there was different kinds of comedies. And now we're in a different world where some of that stuff is very rare. It's rare to see a Western on the big screen that's new. Yeah. anymore. It's not impossible, but it's rare. Musicals are extremely rare. Yeah. Uh, and stuff like that. And I and I and I look at that, I find myself loving some of the new aspects like and I don't give a I don't give a tinker's turd what anybody has to say about this, but there are some damn fine our modern film themes are superheroes. Yeah, of course. And I think, yeah, but there's some people that they, they stink, they suck. No, they don't. There's some damn masterpieces. Look, they're, the, they're the modern Western, and that's just the, the way you need to think about it. I'm sorry, but if if it's not to your taste, well, guess what? The Western wasn't to everybody's taste either. No, the I old, remember yeah, being a like, little it, kid. It, it, I hated yeah. Westerns when I was a kid. I hated war films when I was a kid. I hated musicals. I liked science fiction and monster stuff and yeah. uh, t- you know television. It was the same kind of thing. And uh, nowadays we're in a, in, a, in a world where we have the potential to make believable superhero films with good writing. And if people say the writing on these things isn't good or whatever, t- to hell with it. Well, I, I really am I, What I get disgusted by, yeah, and I get, what I get disgusted by is uh, are people who seem to not be able to step outside their own perceptions and realize that it was ever thus. People have always had inclinations toward what they prefer, and just because what you prefer isn't the big thing right now doesn't mean that everything's gone to hell. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it's exactly. this perception that because it's not the way I want it to be, a pox on all your houses. It's like, no, dumbass. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I agree completely, 100%. And the thing is, is that it'd be one thing if every one of them was like, every superhero film was like, okay, that was about a 70%, which is okay. 70% like Mm -hmm. is you leave the theater and go, yeah, it was good. It was good. But we've got some of them there when I leave the theater. And not all of them, but some of them, when I leave the theater, my jaw's hanging open. It's like, how in the hell did they coordinate that and give everybody great lines in the film that were warm, that had actual warmth to it, that you actually cared? And these other people just dismiss them. Well, well it's, was, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's very it's, difficult. It's a, it's a massive amount of work. And it's like you said they were like our modern Westerns. I almost was saying they're like our modern uh, uh, epics. They're like the yeah, the yeah. Ben the Ben Hurs the the uh, the Lawrence of Arabia's and stuff like that. Yes, it is fantastical, and yes, I would like to see more westerns. Yes, I would like to see more high quality musicals. Yes, I would like to see more. Yeah, but at uh, the same good, time, good army films. But, but at the same time, you and I are the type of film viewer who doesn't limit ourselves to what was made in the past ten to twenty years. So yeah. all those all those doors are always open to us regardless. And so oh, yeah. and that's another thing when I hear people bitching about well movie the movies these days are they're all this or they're all that and it's like no you're just not paying any damned attention and what's limiting you to watching a movie from the nineteen fifties or sixties, you stupid bastard. I mean it's like <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things too where it's like I have really grown to love westerns um, and and certain musicals I've always loved and 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 everything. But I will say the one thing I don't like is in a movie where people are supposed to just be regular humans or even exceptional humans. Let's say they're at the level of a Sean Connery, where um, where they're intense see, athletes or whatever. Yeah. Well, intense a- athletes or whatever, but they show people getting away with such massively unbelievable not the superheroes because they're superheroes but when regular people get away with uh, gravitational fallacies you're you're talking about physical impossibilities yeah physical impossibilities or you might get away with one thing but they show a person getting away with five within the space of like 20 seconds and fear doesn't do it you know um you know and i sort of look at that and go or or somebody drops from 30 feet and hits the ground running. You're not going to. You're going to break your legs. Mm-hmm. You know that. That's what I don't like. That's just a, a side gripe. But yes, uh, there are still good films being made, and um, you know. But uh, I don't know how the hell. Why did we run down this rabbit hole? I think I had some. <laughs> well, let's, giant, let's 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 pull, I'm let's, William Shatner right off the edge of the cliff. Let's pull back into this. So right, right, right. Uh, this is let, let, let's let's be clear. Flesh for Frankenstein is the kind of movie that really could have only been made in the 1970s for a lot of reasons. And I don't say that the way a lot of dumbasses say it because it's like, oh, well, no, nobody would make this kind No, it's the only time in which, it's the only time period in, in cinema where somebody would think this was a good idea to throw $300,000 at this. Yeah. It's, it was a wild, woolly time. People had no idea what would stick to the wall. There were theaters that were only showing pornographic films. And that was seen as a viable, everyday business. The 70s were a strange time. Nobody knew exactly what was going to be around the corner, how the cinema was going to change, how the, the production of films was going to change. And so by the time you get into the 80s, things had settled into a particular groove and people knew how they were going to move forward. And there were there would still be the occasional bizarre, out-of-the-ordinary thing, but not like this. There was a small window of opportunity when an X-rated black comedy horror film of this type could have been made. And just a couple of years later, it's really not... I mean, just a couple of years later, the way something like like this gets made is it is a much more overt comedy musical, and it's called The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Right, right, yeah. Um, I uh, There's something about the time period from the late 60s to the... to uh, Probably, I'm going to say pre-Star Wars. I was going to say pre-Jaws, but there was still stuff coming through, and even a little bit stuff trickling in after that oh, yeah. that are so indicative of the change from the G-rated, everything's G-rated, quasi even g-rated with a slight adult theme to it to the late 60s and there's a whole bunch of great masterpieces in there that are so ballsy have so much grit to them yes that um i remember i used to think of it as a kid as one of the lesser times in film i used to think that uh what happened is you've got um I would, you know, it was probably in the middle of the '80s when I was doing. Oh, everything's so great, and the endings are so tied up, nice and neat, and the jokes land, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And I've gone back over the years, and there's still a lot of great films from the '80s. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of them. Yeah. But but there's a lot of films that I go back now that I liked back at the time, and I go, 
you know, that one just is too cookie cutter. That doesn't completely work, yeah. It doesn't completely work. I mean, where something like Back to the Future still works, something like uh, Batteries Not Included, I look at that and I go, eh. Yeah, it's very '80s. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. very, it's very much, and and it's not a terrible film. It'd be a good film to show children or something. But to me, there's stuff. I mean, I couldn't believe this. I watched uh, one that I loved at the time, and now I couldn't stand it. Was City Slickers? Oh, I wow, really? City- I haven't gone back. Yeah. I haven't gone back to the back to that in a long time. I just, I do remember that for me, the standout sequence in that movie, one that just destroyed me was that incredible Bruno Gantz sequence the 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 scene I mean Bruno Kirby where he uh, where he talks about his best and worst today yeah yeah I mean that scene I, alone is brilliant well the scene with Jack Palance talking about the woman the one time that he was in love yeah yeah you know and those, goes, those are the, those are the kickers that, that I remember saw. those are the kicker yeah. scenes from the, that movie that I remember and, and that's still good yeah. but but I mean, you watch it, and there's corny stuff with him coming with into into New York City with a baby cow in the back of the car, yeah. you know, because they saved it, and and you know, it's them for ten minutes, and you know, um, I, I just look at it and go, now this is too too pat, too cut and dry, too too eighties, because by the end of the eighties, that, that pattern, that 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 yeah. formula, yeah, had been kind of cast in cement, and it's it's there it's uh. It's the reason. Uh, it's like it. For instance, the the happy ending at the end of *Romancing the Stone* works, but what you just described with the cow. Now that you remind me of it, at the end of *City Slickers*, doesn't. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. At the at the end of *Romancing the Stone*, when he shows when he shows up with the boat, you're like, oh, we've built this. Yeah, we've built this. This feels like that happy ending that these characters worked for and deserved. Whereas yeah. that the, the the cow thing just feels like a, a kind of you know button on the end of a story that it, it it's just there because aha we need a we need a nice cute little thing to go out on you know yeah it should be on a double feature with that fifteen minute slaughterhouse film by the guy that directed Eyes Without a Face you know <laughs> put that on there have you ever watched that no oh, but I know what you're talking about dude dude I'm gonna tell you I openly I know I'm gonna you're gonna catch some laughs and stuff I openly wept. When I when I watched that movie, oh no, was, I can understand. I mean, that's dude. Some, it I was. I don't know that I would ever want to hear that. Yeah. I, I I I watched it once, and I was like, oh my god, this is like the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. Well, Night and Fog was easily the worst thing I've ever seen, but this was just horrific. And it's like it's like I I was glad when they stopped the '80s thing of making sure the ending of every film was all tied up nice and neat. The, the thing is, everybody wanted to be Spielberg with his great one-liners, like in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, yeah. what are we going to do? I'm just making this up as I go along. It's a brilliant line, and it still works in that film. Well, but the thing, it, but, the but thing is, else, you talk about the endings of movies in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a direct reaction to the kind of nihilistic, open-ended uh, endings that were so so prevalent in the 70s. It was, it was like trying to go in the exact opposite direction. And in... It, to a degree, that's the safest thing in the world is to give you know to give the audience that happy feeling as they exit the theater. And the thing is, it's like all they all they you know all if all you're looking at is the bottom line. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make, making people happy in the in the final sequence before the credits roll is exactly the way to make everybody think well of your movie. Right. But it, it doesn't necessarily make for a better film. 
Yeah, I think some there are a lot of great movies with happy endings done in the 80s that I go, okay, that's fine. Yeah. We know it's got that 80s feel to it, and that's all right. It was just a sheer amount, and now it, you sort of choke on it. It's It's like... Yeah, even bad films with their tied up cute little endings where the directing was only so-so or bad and you go, ugh. Um, the 70s to me, I mean, stuff like French Connection and The Exorcist mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, just all that kind of stuff to me, those, those are real serious movies. Even to this day, I get shocked when I see a movie that has an ambivalent ending. Not, not a happy or not a sad, you know, not a downbeat or happy ending either way, but one where it's kind of leaving it up in the air for you. You know, sure. and, and to me, I, I, there, there's a part of me that actually thinks that's the ballsier kind of ending because oh, yeah. it's not a, it's not what I would have thought when I was a kid, which is, oh, well, you just couldn't figure out how to end it. No, no, no. Though the idea is much more than that. The idea is if you got wrapped up in this story, if you believe this world we created, well, then how would these people continue? What would it be like? And it's like, we can't, you know, we're not going to pretend that it was one way or the other. We're just going to, 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 to close the book on this episode of their lives, and then we move on. Yeah, it's like, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? All the crap they go through in that story. Yeah, yeah. And at the end, the wife and the husband are kind of still together while they've kind of almost wrecked another marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Well, they have, it's like, they uh, have wrecked another marriage. <laughs> well, they have wrecked another marriage, but it was interesting to me that they're the problem with each other at the beginning, and they survive it, but they're uh, doing that. That that had massive balls to me the first time I ever saw that, and still does. Well, that and, that, that Edward Alvey play that that we, that's just a that's just a rock solid piece of drama. That's just amazing stuff. It really is. Maybe maybe that's what we ought to do sometime. You and I ought to do. Um, you know, uh, movies in the vein of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and Streetcar Named Desire and see what we come up with by putting four or five of those together. But yeah, I mean, um, uh, we got past that. I think nowadays, um, you know, I, I don't know what to say. Some some movies end sad, some movies end middle, you know. Uh, nobody does the ultra over-the-top cute ending, right? at least not right now. It doesn't seem like they do. Well, I think, but, yeah, thank, thank goodness. I mean, maybe maybe in children's movies that we're not watching, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, you, I, I believe in the whole thing of, you know, making the kids happy and entertaining them and having, I'm not, oh, not going to show, I'm not going to show them the ending of, well, what happened at the end? Well, the cop accidentally shot his own friend, uh, <laughs> his own coworker, and then hit it, and that's the way the movie. Uh, Dad, that sounds evil. That sounds yeah, just like they're happened. the villains. It's scary. Well, yeah, the, you know. yeah, but anyway, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, this is a movie uh, to, to cap it off. Well, I was the about to, say, to, cir- to circle back, I mean, yes, you 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 pushed talk about flesh for frankenstein and i of course immediately jumped at it because i had just rewatched the film and i'm glad you did because it honestly it is the kind of movie that i would probably not have done a podcast on and and so you really? oh yeah yeah it's, it's just um i would be much more interested uh, well let's just say i would start from the other end and i would i would be more willing to talk about the films that i truly do clutch to my chest and love you know that i wrap my arms around because every aspect of them uh uh they they embody something that i truly love whereas this film i don't know that i don't know that i can love this movie i admire it and i like it you know, Maybe you need to be in therapy or something. Well, no, that, that's just it. I, mean, I don't know if I 
can love it. Just, just lay down on the couch. <laughs> well, that's just it. I don't think it's the, the kind of movie. I don't think it's the kind of movie that someone like me can love. It's one that I like a lot and I admire, but it's not the kind of movie that I have warm feelings about. It's like I have warm feelings about Curse of Frankenstein. It's a, a very similar story, and and Peter Cushing in that movie plays almost as reprehensible a character <laughs> as uh-huh. Udo Kier plays in this. But yeah. there's more in that movie that draws me to it than there is in this. Because the elements that, are, that, that keep me at arm's length is that it is a, a, a black comedy instead of a full, you know, a full-throated embracing of the horror genre. And so there's yeah. always that wall between the, the audience, me, and the film as it stands, because it is uh, it, it is something very very different. It is a black comedy. It is not a horror movie, and you know it's a it's it's a black comedy with a shit ton of horror elements. That's exactly what it is. And don't get me wrong, I like it. I just I, I it's not the kind of film that I can love. Hmm, that's weird because I thought when I said it, I thought you were going to be like, yeah, I'm. Oh no, I, I was yeah, but it, I was yeah because that meant that I had someone who was pushing me into it. That that makes me feel better about it. Well, um, I'm looking here, and I, I thought that they were closer to the same year. It turns out there's a bit of a space between uh, this movie and the one that we're talking about, and that's Horror of Frankenstein, which is from from 1970. I thought it was late. I thought it was like 72, 73, mm-hmm. but there really is a bit of a difference because isn't uh, F- uh, Flesh for Frankenstein, is that 73 or 74? I can't remember. 73. So I thought that these two were being made almost at the same time, but there is a bit of a difference. Um, Yeah, I'm one of those people that, I mean, I love all the Hammer, Hammer Frankenstein movies, even, even Horror of Frankenstein. I know, I know there's people that really give it hell and they should. Well, I'm I'm due for a a rewatch. I actually have it in my, uh, my, my, uh, to watch pile here because I haven't watched it in, oh God, 20 years. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those where, where is it a great movie no is it weird in its own context it's kind of like flesh for frankenstein to me when i look at it it's just hammer you know kind of almost beating flesh for frankenstein to the punch a little bit with its creepiness but the thing is flesh for frankenstein can go way further with that x rating yes um to me my uh, and just to throw this in there my favorite frankenstein movie by a country mile is frankenstein must be destroyed oh yeah that great film. that to that to me is really Peter Cushing at his absolute best at being rotten. Mm-hmm. I mean, he makes the guy in the first film look kind of nice almost in comparison to the crap he pulls. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, Hammer's Hammer was people with not a massive budget who treated everything like Swiss jewelers. Everything was beautiful and very well honed, and the actors were very competent. The sets and the lighting and the music and all that. They're the seri- more serious side of what we're discussing, and Fletcher Frankenstein's its own wacko beast, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that and its Dracula counterpart. True, true, which we, yeah. we will talk about at a future date. Um, sure. Mark, thank you for uh, pushing me to talk about this movie, man. It's it's one that I, like I said, would not have talked about otherwise. This is uh, wow, this so is weird. this is why I have people like you in my life. It's not because I <laughs> it's not because I like you. <laughs> it's because Shut you make up. for a better show. 
What's that guy saying? Oh, I Mark didn't even. When I started, stinking hole. When I started that <laughs> sentence, I didn't realize how beautifully I was going to insult you. I had no idea where I was going. That was terrible. Man. You're like Paul Morrissey. You're like stream of conscious, and now now I sit over guess. there and drool. Yeah, yeah. Just sit. Over, somebody wipe the slobber out from under his chin. Are you so, fe- are you feeling strange today? Okay, well then, yeah. what we're going to do? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm glad we talked. About it. I didn't realize that that my like of this film was more than yours. That oh, kind of yeah. surprises yeah. me. This feels like Rodney Barnett. No, it well, really, I understand, but it, it it really does not. Like I say, I have a, I have an interesting history with the movie. It's just like I say, it's not a movie I can fully embrace. It's one that I am I, I admire more than I than I than I love. Well, I mean, if you're going to sit there and have me, let's talk about genuinely embracing and and having a a, a, a fling with. I, you have a fling with this movie. If you're going to tell me you got a choice, Mark, you're on a desert island, you're only around one of two films. One of them is Flesh for Frankenstein, and the other one's Lawrence of Arabia. You get to pick one. Oh, well, but, but, that's apples you know and, I mean? but that's apples that, and oranges, man. That's a well, it's thing. apples and damn good it, it, oranges. It, it would be the, it'd be the it'd be the choice between flesh for Frankenstein and say Frankenstein must be destroyed or Revenge of Frankenstein. That would be a more apt consideration. So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is um, I mean, this is the kind of show that you put on. So I figured this is the place to talk <laughs> about it. I can't talk about it. Everyone saw you know you know I still do Monster Attack here and there, but yeah. that's that's for that's for the youth. That's for young people coming into monster movies who want to know about classics. So we don't touch R-rated, and we certainly don't touch X-rated stuff on that show. Yeah, yeah. This is where I can I can talk about this stuff, like when we did Django and stuff. You know, we can talk about well, what the hell we want. <laughs> <laughs> so well, once again, Mark, uh, thank you very much. Uh, do you well, want Do you want to give people some uh, contact information if they want to get hold of you? Yeah, I mean, um, um, Mark Maddox, I'm on Instagram. I post a lot of my artwork and stuff like that up there. I'm on Facebook. I'm the Mark Maddox that lives in Tallahassee. Uh, you know, I mostly, uh, you know, chat with friends on there and stuff. Uh, there's, uh, you can email me for anything you need to know at mark at Maddox Planet. Uh, email at mark at maddoxplanet.com. And then, uh, uh, you know, and then I've got a little website that's dusty and needs to be cleaned up, maddoxplanet.com, period. But, um, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, just busy arting and everything like that. Looking forward to seeing you here in the near future at Wonderfest, correct? Uh, that is the that is the plan as far as I can tell for now, yes. And maybe Monster Bash as well, maybe. Oh, at the yeah, end. Monster Bash is mu- is much more likely uh, depending. Well, I mean, they're both pretty they're both pretty likely, but you know, plans have been made for Monster Bash, yes. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear it, man. So, we we should have a good time. Uh, looking forward to seeing you, man. It's been too long. It has, it has. I mean, well, we, we, we got to see each other in Atlanta, you know, just a few months ago, but yeah, I know what you mean. One few months ago. That was half a year ago. <laughs> it was back in the fall. When you was cheating, bitch. I guess that was like six months ago, wasn't it? Wasn't it six months ago? Six or seven? Something, something like that. Yeah, you're right. Anyway. So yeah, but Lee, I'll be, it'll be great seeing you again. All right, man. So. Once again, thank you very much. All right. You take care, man. Bye. Welcome to Free For All, an episode-by-episode podcast about one of the most endlessly fascinating television shows ever made, The Prisoner. Each week we'll be taking an in-depth look at the 17 episodes of The Prisoner. 
I'm Chris Bainbridge, Senior Lecturer in Broadcast and Creative Media, and I'm also a prisoner devotee. And I'm Kai Ross, a film writer, restaurateur, and Chris's mate, which is how I got this gig. (laughs) So if you want to find us on Facebook, you can find us by searching for Podcast Free For All. And if you want to look for us on Twitter, we are Free For All Pod. And feel free if you want to comment, join the group, send messages, all that stuff. for listening to this episode of the show. Always fun to have Mark back for a visit. If you have any comments, suggestions, critiques, uh, point out how we mispronounce names, anything of that nature, the email address is thebloodypit at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, any suggestions for future shows, throw them out there. We're glad to hear those as well. So, once again, thank you very much. And uh, we will talk to you again very soon.